And we're back with more News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this edition of the Mark Petroni Show. We have Spencer Fernando on the line coming to us from beautiful Winnipeg, Manitoba. Check out SpencerFernando.com. It's a great site full of uh, terrific opinion and insight. SpencerFernando.com. Welcome to the show once again, Spencer. Good to be here. I want to run something back um, that I've been chatting about on Saga 960. And that's what I believe is to be a, a pivot by the Liberal Party, the, the regime itself, going from telling us that the country is essentially bad. Because you know that these guys, since they got into power, they've been on a relentless um, attack on the country in every, every way imaginable, economic and otherwise, whether it's attacking the energy sector. Now, of course, they're going after food. But they've also demoralized the country in many respects, characterizing it as uh, systemically racist, even genocidal. I mean, the, the worst thing you can say about a country is that it is genocidal and we've been attacked as such by this very prime minister. But lately I've noticed a change. And um, that change has come from people, uh, influential people in the party like Jerry Butts, you know, saying three of the planet's best 10 cities to live in are Canadian, according to Condé NAS, this is a company that uh, that publishes um, magazines like uh, GQ, like Vogue, um, sort of highbrow, uh, Vanity Fair, sort of uh, fashion type of magazines. Uh, this is also a company that does businesses in 32 different markets, none of which are Canadian. But um, but the fact that we have Jerry Butts coming out and saying this, the fact that people like Mark Garrison, another member of Parliament, uh, has been on a relentless Twitter. Uh, campaign saying, no, the country is good. We're, we're at or near the top of places to live, according to all these different sources. To me, that's an indication that the party is going full bore in terms of telling Canadians that, no, Canada is not broken. It's a good place. And to me, that's meant to counter what we have seen, not only before you know our own country, what's going on with the things like the past, like the, like the airport, and um, so I think they're trying to counter that narrative. And uh, Pierre Polyev has certainly been influential in that, pointing out where the country needs to be improved, in many cases drastically so. And so what do you think about that? Do you think it does represent some kind of a pivot by the liberals or not? Yeah, I think, you know, they've been in power for so long that it's tougher and tougher for them to, you know, continue the whole, oh, we're we're fixing a country that was broken by the conservatives and everyone who came before. Uh, when you're in power for long enough, people understandably say, well, anything that's broken is your fault. So the liberals, they're kind of stuck in between their rhetoric, which is very anti-Canadian, you know, against Canadian history, against, um, you know, the culture of the country and the fact that they are now the ones seen as responsible for how things are going. So I think they are, they're starting to get concerned. Uh, they're seeing, that the worse the economy gets, the more Canadians are turning against them. I don't know if it's going to make a difference, though. You know, I don't think Canadians are basing their opinion on the Liberals based on what the Liberals are saying. I think it's based on what they're feeling on the ground. And the worse the economy gets, the more people say, well, why are we keeping these guys in power? They, they obviously can't do anything uh, to help. Their policies are making things worse. So, uh, yeah, I think the Liberals, they can say what they want, but it doesn't change the reality on the ground. I think it's ironic. These guys have been uh, on a uh, apology of the month tour. Obviously, it's not every month, but it's just been a relentless series of apologies for things that Canada has been responsible for. 
Um, we all know that the, this prime minister has been has accused us of being uh, systemically racist. This is the same blackface wearing guy who uh, you know wore blackface more, more times than he can even count. But I think he's just been relentless in his attack on the country. And so the fact that this has suddenly changed to, oh, no, this is a great place, struck me as certainly a change in approach from these guys, for these guys. All of a sudden, the, the country is doing fine. And if there are problems, economic, for instance, as far as inflation goes, well, that's somebody else's fault. That's the other thing that we're seeing with this guy Gerritsen coming out and saying, look, this is a global phenomenon. You know, there's nothing we can do about inflation. You know, this, it's not our fault. Mind you, so these are the same people who are saying that they can uh, change the global climate, you know, that somehow the thermostat is in Ottawa, that if they just do a few things, that they can somehow alter the climate and the, the direction, the, the, tra the trajectory of climate change in the world. Somehow they can do that in Canada, but somehow they can't do anything about, about uh, inflation. I think they're nervous. I think that they have taken the temperature of the population. They know that Justin Trudeau is very unpopular right now, very unpopular. We saw what happened in Prince Edward Island, this kind of liberal bastion. I'm sure they figured that there was never going to be any problem out there, and yet uh, there was this uh, rabid um, attack on this tavern that uh, pub, you know, put up a, a picture of Trudeau and, and hosted him for an event. And so I think they know that Canadians are really resentful right now. They're, in, they're not in a good place psychologically, and they want change. And uh, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, do you believe, as some do, that we could be heading to the polls this fall? Or do you think that it'll be next year or the year after that? Yeah, it's tough to know at this point. Uh, they may want to go against Polyev. The leadership race. Uh, if they think they can catch the conservatives off guard. But the polls don't look too good for the liberals. And, of course, going to an election when the economy is doing terrible generally doesn't work out well for the incumbents. So we'll see. I mean, if Jagmeet Singh thinks that his deal with the liberals is actually going to be upheld by Trudeau, then he's, he's more naive than I already think he is. But we'll see. Uh, I think the, the economy will be the main thing that will determine what the liberals do politically. If they see, yeah, they, they think it's going to get uh, uh, worse, then maybe they'll try to go. But the other thing is, you know, they're, they're doing things that are purposely making it worse. So that's what makes this all very strange. Is, you know, it would be in their interest to get rid of the carbon tax. It would be in their interest to support the oil and gas sector and bring prices down and have the, the country become richer by exporting more oil and gas. It would be in their interest to support the farming sector rather than attacking it. So they're doing a lot of things that are not in their political interest and that will severely damage the country. So that's where it gets very concerning. They're pushing an ideology that uh, is quite disturbing and quite dangerous. You've written about the liberal plan to balance the budget. I mean, this is so far off the radar screen right now. Um, I can't imagine this being a priority at all for this government. I mean, it's, I mean, we all remember it's we're going back a ways when he, he said that the, the budget would balance itself, that somehow they would run a short term deficit. Why is it that people are so quick to forgive these guys? I mean, if this had been the Tories who blew it so badly on this budget, I mean, they would be attacked, you know, and rightfully so. But these guys, it's, it's almost like Canadians expect him to break promises. It's almost like, yeah, he's saying this stuff in an election campaign, but we know it's a, it's a pack of lies. Why is it these people seem to be able to get away with it and others uh, don't? 
Yeah, a big part is the funding of the media. I mean, there's a lot of journalists who are just inherently biased uh, towards the left and against conservatives. And then there's the fact that the liberals have increasingly made the media dependent on uh, federal funding. Obviously, the NDP is, or the, uh, the CDC has gotten huge increases in funding from the government. So it's all of those things. You know, there are still a lot of people who, you know, fewer over time, but still a fair amount, who get their news from the establishment media and who trust it. Trust has gone way down at that historic low, but it still leaves many millions of Canadians who still do get their news there. So that's why the liberals are so desperate to, you know, censor the internet, uh, you know, shut down. Uh, or control those who criticize them, independent media, obviously they're scared of, social media they're scared of, and they want to keep propping up with our taxpayer dollars, of course, uh, you know, the so-called legacy media, who are the ones who will say what the liberals want them to say. So it's, uh, there's, yeah, I think the big thing is just the, the extent to which they really bought off much of the media and the bias that was already in the media uh, lets them get away with the conservatives would not be able to. Yeah, I suppose. Meantime, we have this uh, federal convoy inquiry continuing on, $19 million. The, a judicial inquiry, this is a story in Blacklock's reporter, into Cabinet's use of emergency powers against the uh, Freedom Convoy will cost nearly $19 million, that according to a Privy Council office estimate. Uh, 18 lawyers, Spencer, are on staff at the Public Order Emergency Commission. I mean, uh, I don't know. Part of me thinks, well, it's money well spent. We got to find out what happened and why, and we have to examine carefully the justification given by these people. For a while, we saw that it was uh, cabinet uh, confidentiality; they couldn't tell us why they did it, and they didn't want to release documents. But that, uh, of course, they've released some documents now, and uh, the funding includes the cost of billable hours for all these people. What do you make of this? I mean, do you expect something? to come out of this inquiry that will be shocking, that will show that this was not justified, that the, that the government uh, pulled the trigger, went, you know, went for the nuclear option when it was absolutely unnecessary? Yeah, I mean, it's still, at the end of the day, it's still heavily influenced by the government, so I don't have much too much trust that it will necessarily lead anywhere big. Um, obviously, the media has been you know, biased against the Freedom Convoy, so even if there was a huge revelation, the establishment wouldn't be reporting it. Um, and, of course, you know, the government, a government inquiry controlled by the government is never going to do that much damage to the government, especially nowadays where there is just less of a taboo on governments interfering in those things. You would see. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you saw a Rupa Subramania story about the government knowing that they had no scientific rationale for the mandates and doing it when. Uh, that's you know, that's spreading like wildfire, and so that's I think where you're really going to see uh, the truth come out and uh, people really see what actually took place. Uh, maybe a few good things will come out of the inquiry, but yeah, I wouldn't put all my faith in that. So, in terms of accountability, I mean, for there to be accountability, they would have to be asked key questions after the fact, right? I mean, you'd have to have an honest media saying, "Hey, what about this information that is that has come out?" that shows that it was not justified, that you guys uh, used a hammer to kill a fly, that this was a peaceful protest. Uh, we ended up, of course, with people like Tamara Leach. I mean, political prisoners in Canada, these guys want to tell us that everything is fine you know, in the state that we're in. Um, I mean, do you think that somebody's head will roll as a result of this? 
No, I mean, that may be they'll find a low-level scapegoat. But uh, I think it, it has to come through the election process. Uh, that's that's how accountability is going to happen. Um, clearly, it's not going to be. Um, I mean, what, is Trudeau going to hold someone accountable for his his decisions that he obviously still thinks are the right ones? I mean, they're still they're still defending everything they did. Uh, they just find a, a new explanation when the the latest lie falls apart. They just find a new one. So yeah, accountability will have to come through the election process. It's not going to come from within the government. This tweet by Pierre Polyev, hundreds came out to vote in Saskatoon last night, sending a clear message that they are ready to put a stop to just inflation. Let's make more Canadian food and energy to create powerful inflation-proof paychecks for our people. This seems to be resonating. I, I started off our conversation with the sense that you have, on one hand, a conservative who appears destined to lead the party point out, all the issues that are broken in Canada. And on the other side, you've got the Liberals saying, no, everything is fantastic. I mean, can anything stop Pierre Poilievre, first off, in terms of, uh, you know, going to the leadership, taking over the leadership of the party and be becoming prime minister? I mean, to me, this guy looks like he's uh, he's going to be prime minister one day. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think certainly the leadership of the party is locked up. I mean, it would take some sort of extremely uh, shocking and, and quite frankly shady set of circumstances for anything other than poly of winning to take place there uh it, you know the you know the election federally uh, whenever that takes place it's going to be it's going to be a tough one uh, you know they are the establishment is so scared of poly of taking power and the media is scared trudeau is scared you know and they're going to go full out i think it's going to be the ugliest election in Canadian history by far, and not even, not even, nothing even close in, in wow. previous history. It'll be the ugliest by far, and I think you know it's going to be probably it's going to, to a large extent, tear apart Canadian society because they're going to go all in on saying Polyev is a racist, far right extremist, and they're going to insult his supporters, and they're going to talk about obviously Donald Trump and fascism and everything. I mean, that's we're already seeing it. I mean, they're already laying the groundwork for that. And so, uh, and in fairness, you know, uh, people in the center and center right can easily come back and say, you know, the Trudeau government is largely uh, embracing a neo-communist ideology. So you're you're really going to see an extreme uh, kind of rhetoric in the country that Canada hasn't necessarily been used to. But this this has been the attacks on conservatives have been escalating and increasing uh, for quite some time. And so it's only fair that conservatives point out um, the radicalism of Trudeau and you know, kind of the neo-communist ideas that he and, you know, the, the far left is pushing. And so, you know, it's going to be divisive. It's going to definitely divide the country. And that's the direction that Trudeau and uh, the media have decided to go down. And uh, the good thing about Polyev is he won't just give in to the media narrative or the liberal narrative. You know, he's going to actually fight back. And so he'll get blamed for being divisive for fighting back, but he's really just defending himself and responding to what people are saying. And I think that's, you know, it's just what has to happen, you know, whether it's going to be, you know, great for the country in terms of unity uh the liberals have long decided they don't care about that we saw what they did in the last election campaign you know demonizing unvaccinated canadians once they decided to do that they made it clear they don't care about unity so there's obviously political and societal consequences to that spencer fernando joining us on saga 960 with his prediction that the next election in canada will be the dirtiest maybe the most vicious and divisive election in the country's history um, the question is, when is it going to happen? Could the liberals pull the trigger early, as have uh, 
Some suggested that we could be headed to the polls this fall, uh, largely depending on uh, obviously what, what Trudeau's mindset is. Maybe that's what he's doing in Costa Rica, you know, mulling over the possibility of a fall election. We have this editorial by Post Media, Trudeau scarier than Paul Yev, according to one poll. To your point earlier, Spencer, this according to a new abacus data. That's a pretty liberal pollster there. Canadians find Prime Minister Justin Trudeau a lot scarier, a lot scarier than the conservative leadership frontrunner Pierre Poilievre. I mean, some people might find that surprising. A survey of 2,700 adult Canadians from uh, July the 22nd to the 27th released Saturday's bad news for Trudeau and the Liberals, save for the fact that the next election is three years away. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Disapproval of the Liberal government is at 51% compared to 34% approval is at the highest level the pollsters ever recorded since Trudeau was elected in 2015. Only 33% of Canadians think the country is headed in the right direction, 8 to 10 points lower than last year. And uh, so there we go. Uh, again, that speaks, I think, to what I was saying earlier, that Canadians are in a change frame of mind. And they're in a change frame of mind because they think the country is broken on a number of different fronts, whether it's about the economy with inflation, uh, the energy sector, uh, the tanking economy, attacks on our liberties, attacks on free speech, attempts to censor the Internet, going after social media posts, on and on. And so uh, he's got a hill to climb here. Trudeau's net negative approval rating of minus 20 among Canadians, 51% versus 31, is far higher than Paul Yev's at minus 7, despite months of pounding by political and media opponents arguing he's unfit to be prime minister, let alone leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And again, to your point, when you t talked about the media's lack of credibility, they have a credibility problem now, a serious one at that. And their capacity to sway public opinion in Trudeau's way well, that's, I, th I would suggest, is severely hampered. Uh, and here's, here's the proof right here, Spencer, where despite the pounding leveled at uh, Poilievre, none of it is, is sticking to the guy. I know there's a lot to unpack there, but <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's held up pretty well under a lot of uh, you know, uh, attacks and criticism from the media. And charade and liberals. I mean, you don't even have to say media charade and liberals. Just say it's the same thing, really. But um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's it's interesting that Canadians are seeing through a lot. I think Canadians recognize that, increasingly recognize. You know, some still don't, but many recognize that the liberals, um, as they are now, are not really the liberals they used to know. I think the the, the main strength the liberals have is their brand. And that a lot of people still associate it with what was once a fiscally responsible uh, centrist political party. Um, the liberals were once in favor of balanced budgets and fiscal restraint. Uh, they even cut taxes when the, the government was running surpluses. Uh, they had, you know, kind of a sense of, you know, duty to the country and to the future. And that's obviously gone now. Trudeau is much more, you know, radical, far left, just hiding behind the name of the liberal brand. You know, if he didn't have the liberal brand in front of him, you know, his actual ideas and political performance would have a party in you know, 15%, 10%. Uh, so the liberal brand really is, is the best thing they have going for them. So I think people are starting to wake up to that. And, and a big thing is just results. You know, people people will put up with a lot of scandal and uh, 
you know, government malfeasance when the economy is doing relatively well. We've seen that not just in Canada, but around the world. But when, when, you know, especially inflation, when people start to think, you know, no matter how hard I work, I can't get any further ahead and I'm falling behind. And then they see, you know, Trudeau having fun traveling around. He's living a pretty good lifestyle. Uh, when they feel that the policies he's promoting makes it impossible for them to have the kind of lifestyle that Trudeau himself enjoys. And then just the endless virtue signaling and the guilt, oh, you should feel bad about Canada's history or you should feel bad about the energy sector and you should just accept that things are going to get worse. I think people have had enough of that. And uh, I think people, you know, if they don't see their own, their own live, lives improving, uh, they're not going to want to reelect the same government that's been in power for quite some time. You look at some of the talk around the WEF, the World Economic Forum. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where any uh, leadership candidate talking about that sort of thing would have been completely attacked as a nut. But here we have not only Polyev, but Leslin Lewis talking about this stuff and others. And uh, it is interesting. They don't seem to have suffered as a result of that. So I think they've taken the temperature of Canadians, and they know that there is an issue, that there is a globalist movement that doesn't really give a damn about the people, You know, that is divisive in terms of identifying as the elites as the ones that are going to make the decisions. And we've heard those quotes by the likes of Klaus Schwab saying, yeah, the people in this room are going to make the decisions and everybody else can eat it. I mean, are you surprised that that issue has gained as much traction as it has and the fact that the, the the liberal media has not been able to damage any of the conservative candidates, despite their efforts, they've labeled them as, as crackpots for even bringing up the fact that uh, the, the WF is real, that it has an agenda. Are, are you surprised that that has gained as much traction as it has in Canada? Yeah, well, I think kind of what's happened is there are always kind of two issues. There was the really outlandish conspiracy theories, you know, people who were saying that the WEF planned the pandemic and caused it, which I never believed, obviously, and I think most people never believed. But what you see the media would often do is they would find kind of the most extreme person talking about something and then and then kind of extend that. So anyone talking about the World Economic Forum is saying that, which is not the case. But I think what people have seen is, you know, the World Economic Forum keeps saying things like, you're going to own nothing and be happy. Um, you know, heat bugs, uh, car, private car ownership is bad. And so Canadians, they see this and they say, okay, well, I don't really like the sound of that. And then they see, okay, everyone goes to Davos and, oh, they seem to be uh, eating pretty well there. And they're flying in their private jets and they're driving around. Um, so I think it, more than anything, it's the hypocrisy. And I think it's tough for the media now to tell people, oh, there's nothing going on uh, when people see the hypocrisy of those in charge. Uh, another example again is Trudeau and his vacation, right? I mean, normally people don't really care, but uh, Trudeau, his policies make it tougher for people to travel. Obviously, you know, the airports are a mess, but the carbon tax makes everything more expensive. Uh, you know, the government telling people to cut back on energy usage. And so, okay, well, why isn't he cutting back? And so I think the big thing is really the hypocrisy and the fact that, um, you know, it feels like governments are almost, whether taking orders or at least being influenced by institutions that are not accountable to Canadians. Like we, we have no control. We, we don't get to vote for the World Economic Forum. We don't get to control who their leadership is. So why should anyone in Canada take orders, or not even orders, but just be influenced by an organization that Canadians can't influence, right? It's, it's very anti-democratic. So I think 
you know, just enough evidence piles up when people see, okay, well, you know, the World Economic Forum talks about something, then all of a sudden you see Trudeau talking about something. It's not even, it's not like he's, you know, being controlled by them. It's just he, he seems to think their agenda is good. And I don't think most Canadians agree with that. And so I think you're starting to see people say, you know what, this doesn't represent me. This isn't what I believe. And I think our country should have leaders who are accountable to Canadians, not some, you know, foreign institution. What about this? Um, I mean, you're, you're out in Manitoba. I mean, what kind of pushback has there been on this fertilizer thing? Um, we, we spoke with former Ag Minister Jerry Ritz, had him on the show, talking a little bit about it. I mean, has that alarmed Manitobans to any great degree? You know, I, I still think uh, the concern is filtering out into the general public. I don't think it's really hit yet. I think uh, I think the problem is a lot of people still believe that the government is fundamentally on their side, and I think that's kind of the issue. You know, it's tough, it's tough for people to really internalize the fact that, no, the government is purposely doing things that are making everything more expensive for you. They're purposely doing things that they know are going to cut food production and drive up prices. You know, people are so used to the idea that, Maybe the government is incompetent. Maybe they're trying to do the right thing, but they're just they're idiots and they're making mistakes. I think people can can understand that, but I think it, it gets tougher for people to acknowledge. I think what, what really is happening, which is this is a government that is deliberately trying to make things worse, and then of course blaming everybody else. I mean that's why Jagmeet Singh is such a useful idiot for them, because they'll bring in policies that drive up prices, and then Singh will go and blame you know old big companies are to blame. I mean okay, the big companies print all this money. Right? I mean, did they do all this overspending? Uh, did they did they restrict production? You know, big companies don't. Big companies would love to be able to profit and have everybody in the country also get richer because that makes them richer as well. It's governments that love to keep people poor and desperate and you know dependent on the state. And so I think I think that's part of the problem. Is it's just it's you know Canadians are generally decent and nice people, and that that can be good, but it can also be used uh, against them, and that's often what happens. Uh, people think, oh. It's good. It's good and nice and Canadian to listen to what the government tells me. But if the government, you know, is hostile to you and doesn't have your best interests at heart, then you know, listening to the government and trusting the government, you're just going to end up in, in you being harmed. And I think it's it's taking some time for Canadians to really wake up to what is a sad and unfortunate fact. But uh, the reality is the government's not on our side, and people people do have to realize that. Were you surprised when Harper came out and endorsed uh, Pierre Polyev? No, not really. Um, I think, you know, he's never been a fan of Sharia. I remember the talk in the previous leadership race when there was some, you know, thought that Sharia might end up running. That was that Harper would, you know, leave. I think he did leave the conservative fund, I believe it was, you know, so that if necessary, he could campaign against Sharia. Sharia, of course, didn't end up running that time, but Harper was clearly not wanting Sharia to take over the party. And so I think, you know, what you started to see was, um, even as Polyev was dominating, the media and the charade campaign was kind of trying to create a narrative that, oh, you know, Polyev's actually kind of uh, not really uh, in step with the conservative party. Uh, he's kind of extreme. And that's not really what conservatives want. Of course, the problem with that was he's already been endorsed by more than half of all sitting CPC MPs. But they were trying to push that narrative that somehow he was like some you know, crazy, dangerous outsider. And so I think Harper came in to quash that and say, no, I'm endorsing him. What am I, the only... PM actually in the Conservative Party, whoever got elected in its current incarnation, and so he he just I think it just put an end to the charade attempt to you know pretend that somehow Charade was the elder statesman who represented the Conservative Party. That that really doesn't work. 
And so you know, even even in the statement Sheree made afterwards, uh, it was quite odd because he was saying, oh, well, just like Stephen Harper, I've, you know, united conservatives and led through a recession. And that's just like, just don't even try it, buddy. Like, don't even pretend that you're taking Harper's mantle. Harper's been pretty clear who he supports. And so it was just, just one other way to make it clear that Sheree is not what the conservative party wants. But could he be a divisive influence if Paul Yev gets in? Because you've heard him say, as I have, that he's not going to be part of it, if of the party, if uh, Paul Yev is leading it. I mean, could it be that this guy uh, either tries to start his own party, party or does something as a, a means of trying to undermine his uh, campaign to to win and become prime minister? Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly possible. I think the problem for Sheree will be that it's going to be actually quite easy to, I think, lump Sheree, Trudeau, and Jagmeet Singh uh, all together as one. Basically, they all represent the failed establishment that has put the country in such a difficult situation. You know, Sheree is just basically offering basically Trudeau-style policies with just a few tweaks and a different brand. Uh, Polyev, by contrast, is offering something very different, a repudiation largely of Trudeau's worldview. So I think it'll be easy for the conservatives, you know, led by Polyev to say, look, I mean, you know, if you're happy with how things are, then Sheree, Trudeau, or Jagmeet Singh, I'll offer you the same thing. Uh, if you're tired of how things are, then there's only really one choice. And so we'll see. I mean, Sheree, he can do what he wants, but he hasn't resonated too well within the conservative party, even with, you know, all the media behind him, you know, obviously trying to take down Polyev, trying to boost him. And even so, I mean, you look at the fundraising numbers, you look at the number of donors, I mean, he's just getting demolished. Uh, Polyev outrose, uh, outfundraised the Liberal Party and the Jean Charest campaign combined by himself. So that tells you something. And then the number of donors, I mean, it's like 30. You know, I'm just looking at a tweet here I think that had something on here. It's like 30,000, yeah, 36,804 individual contributors in quarter two for Polyev, 4,191 for Charest. Right. I mean, close. You're getting close to a 10 to one advantage, nine to one, basically. And so, I mean, come on. At some point, just the Shrey campaign, I, I guess it will take getting the results, obviously. But we'll have to be honest and say that they, people just don't they're not buying what he's selling. And, uh, you know, the attempt to paint Polyev as, as divisive, it's been insane from the beginning because he's, you know, he's been pretty uh, uniting of the conservative party and conservatives. It just shows, I think, the contempt that Shrey and obviously the media have for you know, actual Canadian conservatives. You know, they kind of start from the, the premise that any, any actual conservatism is illegitimate and evil, and so that's automatically divisive and doesn't count. And so the only voices that count are the supposed, you know, the moderate, uh, reasonable, centrist people who don't really actually have you know, a party and, and many people who you know, support what they're talking about, and there's not too many in the country, but they, they talk themselves up and the media promotes them. And, oh, yes, yeah, so if you don't appeal to them, then you're divisive. But, I mean, Sheree, every poll shown Sheree is far more divisive than the Conservative Party. So just the, the whole narrative from the beginning has been just very strange. And I guess that's what you do when you don't have facts on your side. You just have to kind of create a narrative that, you know, doesn't really hold up under scrutiny. But uh, I think, yeah, yeah, fundraising numbers, donor numbers, and then, of course, the results are going to – the reality is going to intrude pretty strongly. Spencer Fernando. How do people support uh, you and find out more about your content? Yeah, they can go to uh, spencerfernando.com or nationalcitizens.ca. And if people want to contribute, they can uh, go to the top of, of the website. There's a place where people can 
click to donate to PayPal or Stripe. And you know, it, it's important because I'm, I'm funded by you know, just regular Canadians, not funded by the government, not controlled by the government. And uh, you know, that's important to independence. You know, people can claim, oh, well, the, the government funding a media organization doesn't really matter. We know how human psychology works. If the government funds you, you're going to end up doing what the government wants. And that's the last thing the media should be doing. So if people want to contribute, they're free to do so. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate this. No problem. Take Take a brief break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petrano Show after this.